0: So thank you for allowing me to come this morning. I'm deeply encouraged uh, to get up early in the morning and see men that want to come and look at God's Word. It's encouraging to me. Uh, It's life-giving to look at God's Word. And it is my prayer uh, this morning that God is pleased to meet us here in His Word. Uh, When we look at God's Word, the point is not just to gain more head knowledge. It's not to just be able to answer questions correctly. It's not to be smarter than your friend or your neighbor. Uh, The point is to become more like Jesus. Uh, The point is not just to be inspired, but to be transformed. As we look at God's Word this morning, I just want to encourage you to approach it uh, with that mindset. As Mike introduced me, my name is Mitchell Moore. I've been here now for uh, 15 months, 14 months. We came last June, and so if you're not a member at Second and you're here this morning, we're glad you're here. Uh, If you're a regular attender here this morning and and you haven't... uh, become familiar with me, then you're probably not as a regular attender as you'd like to think you are. Um, you, might, you might need to uh, check uh, check your attendance uh, here, but it's been a privilege to be a part of. I love, We've loved this church. We love this city. I've got four kids uh, who you'll hear a little bit about this morning, um, but we just have fallen in love with the opportunity to be here. And I realized being here, I did, I'm not going to click through my slides. Everybody should have a handout. We're just going to walk through that but i was looking at the at the date on there 2009 2010 and it appears that i'm i'm batting cleanup i guess i'm the last person uh, for this calendar year they've they've called in uh, they've called in the bullpen usually this is the time of year where we can't believe that football is already on and you you come to a preseason game and you you don't get to see any of the starters but for like a couple of minutes and that's the beginning of the season, but I think they've called the boys. This is the end of the amen season, I guess. So it's a privilege. any Anytime I can get up here, whether it's the beginning or the end of the season, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it is a privilege, and I love uh, what God is doing in and through this ministry. Uh, before we get going, we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians today. You can go ahead and open your Bibles, but before we do, uh, just let me open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for being pleased to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for, for giving us your Holy Spirit as your people. I just ask this morning, Lord, that you'd be pleased to illuminate our hearts, uh, that you would be pleased to help us uh, see in your word uh, what it means to be more the image of God, that your Holy Spirit uh, would, would transform us and make us new. I ask, Lord, that we'd have a, a holy discontent with just the spiritual status quo, and we would have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, the, for your design, for your pattern of living. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My family and I moved down here last June, as I said. And when we came down, uh, we actually moved a month before we were going to move into our house. So we, we rented uh, someone's house for one month. They were in Colorado with their family for the summer. And, and we were going to rent their house. And we, were, we still hadn't closed on our house up there. And we hadn't cl- closed on our house down here Uh, And so we couldn't move everything down, so we had to be very selective in what we were going to move. I've got four children, and we let them pick one thing that they could take with them uh, that would give them encouragement, something from, you know, they were following Daddy uh, down south to Memphis, a city they'd never lived in, a city that didn't have their schools in it, didn't have their friends in it. Everything was unfamiliar. And I said, Lisa and I said, go ahead and pick something, that will be familiar to you. That will be a comfort to you. And they all grabbed a stuffed animal. And they said, we really want to take our guinea pigs. And we, we said, okay. We had two guinea pigs at the time. And uh, they lived in a big cage. But we didn't have a whole lot of room going down. Uh, we had a pickup truck. And there was no room in the pickup truck for this big cage. And So we said, okay. Well, we, can t- we could leave the guinea pigs with our neighbors and they can feed them. Guinea pigs are the kind of things that you can really throw food in there on the first of the month and come back at the end of the month and throw more food in. You know, they're not they're not a very high-maintenance animal except for the fact that they smell like pigs, right? Um, And so that's really all. So we weren't really worried about somebody taking care of them or bringing them. But we gave in. We said, sure, you love your guinea pigs. They love to have them crawl over them. And, And we put them in the back of this pickup truck. And it was a, a lined with a black liner And we were driving down from St. Louis to Memphis And it was a, a, a May 30th, I think it was, a, it was a cooler day, it was overcast And about an hour outside of Memphis, the sun came out And it really got hot in the bed of the pickup truck And we pulled into where we were staying in Memphis We had, we had map-quested it and figured out where we were going to go And we pulled into this driveway. We're here. We're in Memphis. Yay! My son Tucker runs out of the car and looks in the back of the pickup truck. He said, Dad, why is Mr. Pig sleeping on his side? And my wife looked at me and was like, oh, no. (laughs) And it turns out that guinea pigs cook at a certain temperature. And it had gotten so hot in the back of that pickup truck that the guinea pigs had d- passed away. <laughs> they they had fallen on their sides, and they were like, "What's wrong with Mr. Pigs?" And it was just like, uh, just stiff. I was I was looked at my wife. I was like, "How does this happen?" And I found myself having my wife looking at me, and my kids looking at me, like, "What do we do now?" And they were all looking at me. And I, the first thing we did when we got to Memphis in a house that wasn't ours, that had a dog, was bury guinea pigs in the backyard. <laughs> and uh, and I, I've since told Rob. It was Rob Thompson's house. And, and we, we actually, I actually unburied the guinea pigs when my kids weren't around uh, and, 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 and buried them more proficiently in the <laughs> trash can. Um, <laughs> you, can't, you, can't really, you can't really flush a guinea pig down the toilet like a goldfish. And it was a tragic moment. And they were, but my, I found my family looking at me. And they were looking to me for direction. They were like, we came here for you. This was our security that we brought. This was what we brought from home. And they were looking at me what to do. So we got a little puppy dog because they live through road trips. You know? <laughs> and we're, we're glad to have a, a dog in our house. But to have that pressure, if you're a father or if you're an older brother or if you're the old older guy that grew up in your, on, on your block when you were a kid, if you were the older kid in school, then you understand that pressure of people looking to you, looking to you for direction, looking to you for what do we take their cues? What do we do now? This morning, we're going to look at a call from Scripture to act like men, okay? Act like men. When I say that, I'm not sure, those are Paul's words translated into English, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when I say act like men. Is it something cultural? Act like men. You hear those words, yeah, act like men. What comes to mind? Is it Braveheart? Yeah, freedom! What comes to your mind when I say act like men? Is it knowing every football stat? Act like men. Is it, is it having the coolest things? Act like men. Here's the reality. That we live in a world where boys are looking to you for what it means to be a man. Boys need pictures. We have a world that is looking for what it means to be human. And men in the church are designed to model what it means to be a man. I was in Argentina this summer with our mission team, and I'm thinking, I haven't decided if I'm going to tell Regino's whole story this morning, He's an amazing man that moved with his family into a poor part of Buenos Aires. It's a city of 13 to 15 million people. And Regino moved with his family into a poor section so that he could feed the poor, so that he could serve the community. And one ministry that they have out of their house, uh, Regino, he's just a cook. He's just a normal guy like me and you who loves He's gifted at making food. His wife has a passion for kids. They've got three of their own. And one, one ministry, one way they open their home. They moved to the poor part of this town because there were moms trying to raise kids that, uh, that could not get jobs because either their husband was dead or their husband had left them, and they had no means to get a job. So there, there needed to be some way for somebody to watch their children for them. So they open up a room of their house every day of the week. And these moms come and drop their kids off so that they can go to school, so that they can go to work. And while the kids are in their house, they teach them. The mom educates them. And she she had two books and used mainly the walls for education, writing anatomy, writing the alphabet, written on the walls around her. And I sat in there in Buenos Aires watching her teach 16 three four and five year olds that sounds like a nightmare to me you don't want to sign me up to be in a room full of three four and five year olds that is 16 of them that's overwhelming that's great odds stacked against you they do it every day and she was reading one of the two books she had to these kids and all all of them were sitting in a little crescent circle right just like looking, waiting, and she'd read, and she would show them the picture, and all the little girls were sitting there like this, ah, that's great, and all the little boys were fighting over one another, but I want to see, I want to see, they were trying to like follow it around, you know, she's like, and here's the picture, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they were wrestling, trying to see the pictures, and I said to myself, man, isn't that an image of boys in our culture, they want to see pictures, They want to see pictures. And when it comes to manhood, boys need to see pictures of men. The world is looking for pictures of humanity. Let me help you feel the weight of this. I work, as Mike said, with 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. Some of them are married. Some of them have kids. Many of them are unmarried walking with a 30 year old he texted me uh, he's getting into a relationship 30 years old he says Mitchell can we talk I really need to talk to you about something I say, yeah I'd love to talk you know, what's going on everything okay he says I need some time with you and his, his exact words were I need to talk to you about what it means to be a man in a relationship 30 what does he need in this church what does he need he needs to see. He needs a picture of what it means to be a man. What I am telling you is a sense of urgency that we must be men. Act like men, says Paul. What comes to your mind? What does Jesus mean by that? What does His word mean by that? Act like men. The way I learned to be a man uh, was mainly having a model of, of how not to be. A man. My father was absent. Uh, he was a practicing alcoholic when I was growing up he was a workaholic he he was a socialaholic I don't know he just was everywhere but home with us and when he was home he was very angry um, and he, he, th- I was trying to think of a quick story that summarized uh, the way that I learned to be a man and <laughs> I, I was just remembered quickly my parents got divorced when I was in fourth or fifth grade and my dad one night uh, had one of his you know Uh, Dinner dinner nights with us and so he grabbed my brother and I and my sister and we got in his car And we grew up on lookout mountain uh, Outside of chattanooga and so if you've ever been to lookout mountain, you know to go up and down the mountain There are these very windy roads and my father uh, Was driving this car and he was driving in the other lane I think my brother was 14 or 15 getting ready to get his learner's permit or license I was four years younger than him. So I was 10 or 11 or 12 uh, there's, I was under the impression there would be no math involved this morning, so forgive me um, for, if, I, if I have the, the numbers wrong. But he was driving in the wrong lane going down the mountain on, into oncoming traffic. And when a car would come, he would swerve and then swerve back, and we were going, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> we were scared. What are you doing? And my dad said, Well, I'm showing you how not to drive. And we were like, Oh, okay. You know, we didn't know. That's what he said. And someone, I guess, called the police, and there was a cop waiting at the bottom of the mountain and pulled my dad over. He said, Sir, what are you doing? Have you been drinking? He said, No, I haven't been drinking. My son, I'm showing him how not to drive. And the police officer just looked at him and said, Why didn't you show him how to drive? My dad was like, I don't know. That is an example of how I learned... To be a man. By watching how not to be a father. By watching how not to be a husband. By watching how not to be a friend. By watching how not to steward God's kingdom. And I want to tell you guys, maybe you can identify with that story. And maybe you can't. But it's the majority story in our culture today. Most boys are growing up, learning more about how not to be a man than to actually be a man. And the call from God's Word this morning is to be a man, to act like men. That's why we're here at the Bible study this morning, right? That's why men get together. We want to learn how to be men. That's why you're here. That's why you're up so early. I mean, not many of you have already jogged six miles like me, but at least you're here, right? Well, that's why we're here. We want to look in God's Word and be changed. And I want you to feel the weight in our church, in our culture of men who are looking to you, act like men. They want to know what it means to be a man. So let's look into God's Word this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13-14. through 14. This passage comes at the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and it comes in uh, just kind of a final instructions. And it's a series of five imperatives, all right? Five imperatives, which are commands. And the central imperative, I believe, grammatically and otherwise, is what the other t- other imperatives hang off of. It is the main point that the other two imperatives on either side, the other four imperatives total, there I go doing math again, um, hang off of. And so we're going to look at these in systematic order as as paul does them but these are his commands uh, to the leadership and to the church in corinth which is a very broken church which was a very there's a lot of dysfunction i mean paul wrote the letter because a lot of stuff was going south in that congregation this is how he ended it he says be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men be strong Let all that you do be done in love. Question, when the the younger men, our youth, our young adults, look at the men in this room and in this church, do they see men who look like our culture or do they see men who look like our king? Paul very helpfully orients us and what it means to act like men. Let's look at this. We're going to be all in the Scripture uh, this morning because we're going to flesh out what these words mean. Uh, this first imperative, uh, be watchful. Be watchful, he tells the church. Be watchful. What does it mean to, to be watchful, you know? I think if we, if we think of technology, we want to be watchful of the, of the new iPhone that's coming out, you know? We want to be watchful of the new, the new web browser that Internet Explorer is putting out that's supposed to be like the Cadillac of web browsers, you know? We, we're, we're watchful of uh, SEC football season that's getting ready to start, you know? We're watchful to see how Dooley's going to do in Knoxville with a completely fresh offensive line. You know, we're watchful to see how the Ole Miss quarterback that somehow got talked into going there is going to perform, you know? <laughs> we're... <laughs> There's no accusation of corruption in that. But uh, anyway, we're watchful, aren't we? So we know, we know what it means to be watchful for the new car that's going to come out. And we know what it means to be watchful for our, our favorite television show season to start. We know what it means to, to be watchful to see how our stocks are doing, to be watchful to see how our business is performing, to be watchful. We understand what it means. What does Paul mean? To be watchful. This word, watchful, to be watchful. This imperative. uh, It is a. All of these are kind of military terms, and this is a term used for someone who is standing watch over uh, over over a camp at night, looking for the enemy. This is the one who is standing guard, looking over the horizon seeing if there's any rustling, seeing if there's any obscure movement, seeing if there's anything that should cause alarm, that should have the troops be rallied to battle. This is a term of a man who's standing on a city wall, watching for the enemy to attack, being aware of of an enemy that wants to infiltrate and take down your position. It is being watchful. You understand. But how do we be watchful? And what exactly to be watchful of? Well, this is where we're going to dive into uh, where Paul uses this other word and how it's used in, in other parts of the New Testament. If you look in Colossians 4 2, Colossians 4 2, I've got all these marked in my Bible, but there's a lot of them. So he says, uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. How is a man of God to be watchful in prayer, in thanksgiving? How are we to look for the enemy in prayer, in thanksgiving? The announcement this morning that was made about prayer. Do we take it serious? Second Wednesday is when we pray together as a family. Do we take it serious when your CCs are having prayer time? Do you take it serious when your family devotions come up? When it's time for you to pray with your family? Do you just pray over meals or are you, are you praying, being watchful for the enemy that wants to attack your family? Are you being watchful in prayer for your church, for the younger men in your church that the enemy wants to take down, destroy, and discourage? Are you being watchful? Because part of being a man is being watchful. How do we do that? In prayer. Why do we do that? Turn with me to 1 Peter 5, eight. Peter uses this. And Peter, just listen to this. What Peter says in 5.8, he says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. So he's using these terms uh, in, in, synonymously. You know, be sober-minded in the Scripture can refer to uh, not being drunk with alcohol, too much wine. It can also refer, refer to not being drunk with yourself, not thinking too highly of yourself. But why? He says this, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be watchful, men. That's what it means to be a man. How is Satan seeking to devour men in our culture? How is he seeking to distract us, to discourage us, to derail us? A man is watching for what Satan is doing, the enemy. He's watching in prayer. He's watching with his eyes. He does not want the the enemy to roar around and intimidate and devour God's people and other men. How are we being discouraged, distracted by the enemy? Are we being watchful uh, maybe in where we find our identity? Are you? Your significance? Are you being watchful? As a man and and with your eyes, if I were to think of one area where Satan is devouring God's people and the men of the church are being silent, it's the area of pornography. We have a sex-saturated culture, and the church is silent. You drive down 240, there's billboards of women who are created in the image of God. Laying in underwear. Are we being watchful for how the enemy might be infiltrating our camp? Seeking to devour, distract, discourage? Are we being watchful? Do you know how many youth... You know when youth discover pornography? I discovered pornography when I was... I was like in sixth grade. I found a magazine in my house. I was like, what is this? Holy cow! Holy cow! look at these pictures. My dad never told me anything about pornography. I never got like the sex talk you hear all about. I just saw these pictures and was like, whoa, something funny's happening to me. (laughs) You know? And I knew there was something in me that knew that that was shameful. And I hid it. And I didn't tell anybody about the sexual addiction that began to develop in my life. Nobody knew. And when I became a Christian... The first time I heard anybody talk about it was in some small group and these guys were struggling with it and I was like, okay, so this is not normal? I mean, this isn't what God designed for me to look at women and, and satisfy myself. No. No one told me. No one told me that it destroys a man to look at pornography. No one told me that it destroys women, that it robs them of their dignity. And Satan is infiltrating and devouring men in our church and in our culture. And the odds are that even in this room, when is it okay to look at a woman lustfully? Answer that question. Never. 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 Why? Because women are created in the image of God. They are not objects for our enjoyment. They have dignity. They're image bearers. They're not objects for our entertainment. And we've got to be watchful for the enemy that wants to weaken our young men. Weaken the men in this room with pornography. Oh, how how can I escape from this world? How can I insulate myself from pain? How can I isolate myself? Are we being watchful as men? In prayer, when was the last time you prayed for God to protect the young men in this church and protect the men in this room, to protect your pastors and your leaders, to protect our culture from the enemy that wants to devour us by getting us to treating image bearers as objects for our entertainment? Watchful in prayer. That's just an example. I could go into many other areas, but I don't have time. Man, I would like to because we've got to be watchful. I get excited. Pat McCarty said to me last night, he said, Mitchell, I've seen you preach at nighttime, but I've never seen you in the morning. Do you have as much energy in the morning as you do at night? The answer to that question is yes. Um, I do. The next imperative, the next imperative that we see, be watchful. The next one is stand firm. Let me go back to being watchful real quick. Here's, Here's what determines what we're watchful about. Your priorities and your purposes will determine what you're watchful for. Okay, I just need to say that. So if your priorities are your stocks, your priorities are your finances, your priorities are security, your priorities are your sports teams, your priorities are your technology, you're going to be watchful for that stuff. But if your, kingdom, if your priorities are kingly, kingdom priorities, then you're going to be watchful for in prayer for the enemy that wants to divide, discourage, distract, and devour. But that's not where Paul stops. He goes on. He says, stand firm. Stand firm how? Stand firm in faith. Stand firm. Now, when we think about standing firm, we, we, you know, we think of all kinds of different ways that we stand firm as, as people in our culture and as men. There's all kinds of familiarity uh, that we, we stand firm. When, when there's a bad storm, you turn on the weather channel, and there's that guy that's reporting from the center of the hurricane, you know, and it's raining all around him, and he's like... <laughs> What he here. <laughs> like, wow, that guy is standing firm in a storm. Yeah, or we we have like the guy that's like playing baseball and gets hit by a pitch. You know, he stands up, stands firm under that. You know, or like the the, the athlete that can stand firm under pressure, or, or uh, somebody that's taking heat that's standing firm um, under heat. But what is the question? Is what does Paul mean when he uses this term "standing firm"? Uh, Galatians five one is something that that helps us. Uh, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So, standing firm is a position of freedom. Standing firm is a proper response to the work of Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer obligated to obey sin. We are able to not sin because we have freedom in Christ. It's a a positional reality that Christ has made us right before God, so we're able to stand firm in freedom. But exactly what does it mean? If you look at, uh, to flesh this out a little more, this is again a military term, and I'll explain it more in a second. Uh, But if you look at Ephesians 6, uh, verse 13, Paul is talking about putting on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil, writes Paul. He says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness that we're supposed to be watching out for, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's a military, that's a military context, Paul uses that word. Stand firm against the darkness, against the powers, against the principalities. And it's a picture of of a soldier that's ready to fight. This isn't standing firm weather, man. This is standing firm, ready to go. And at any order, now, attack, let's go. Because Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail, this is not a defensive position that the church has. Have you ever seen a gate attack somebody? Oh, no, we, we, we were like, oh, we've got to protect ourselves from, from, from the, the world, right? That's like, no gate attacks. We, the gates of hell will not prevail. The onslaught of the, the soldiers of the kingdom of God that are following the orders of our king. And Paul says to stand firm to be ready, to be in a position, ready to go at any order, to stand firm when you've done all else, to stand firm, be ready. Because you don't know when you're going to get called in the duty of the service of the king in your vocation, called in the duty of the service of the king to fight back, to protect your family, to protect your friends, your church, to to be watchful, to stand firm, to be a man, to be ready. It's not just a standing and enduring; it's a standing in readiness. It's a soldier, ready to go. Yeah, that's the kind of picture of man that I like, isn't it? Yeah, ready for a fight. We're going to flesh it out more, but you get that image. Those two imperatives: be watchful, stand firm. And Paul goes on; he just gets better. And we've got to, we've got to, we've got to move uh, through this uh, quickly. Act like men is his next phrase. If you have the NIV, we've, we've moved officially as a church to the ESV. The NIV translates this. I think uh, anybody have the NIV on them? It's like uh, strong and courageous. Be be courageous, be strong. Something like that, uh, which is an okay translation. But this word, if you have the handy-dandy new ESV study Bible, it, it explains the background of this word um, that Paul uses. This imperative as Paul is telling the people in Corinth, to act like men. This word is a Greek word that is used heavily in the Old Testament. You can't know Paul, you can't know Jesus for that matter, without knowing the book of Deuteronomy. It's really good that we're going to study the book of Deuteronomy in this, in this uh, Bible study that Sandy has been working hard all summer. It's an awesome book. But at the end of that book, you remember uh, it is the second law the second summary of the law that that God gives Moses, and it's right before they head into the land uh, uh, of Canaan that God had promised his people that God was going to use the nation of Israel as an instrument of judgment on the peoples of Canaan. Their sin had reached its full measure, and God was going to use Israel to judge these people who were evil in the sight of God. And he had promised them a land of milk and honey But it was going to take a fight. They were going to have to clear some people off. But God promised over and over again, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to use you for my mission to the world, to be a blessing to the nations. And as Moses was transferring leadership to Joshua, you look in Deuteronomy 31, this is what it says, 31.6. We'll start at 5. The Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded to you, Moses says to Joshua, God through Moses, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. He goes on and you look at verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. If you look at verse 23 of the same Of the same chapter, Deuteronomy 31, the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun, and he said, Be strong and courageous. If you look in Joshua, chapter 1, just a few pages over, verse 6, he says, God says to Joshua, we'll start at verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. He goes on in verse 7, "...only be strong and very courageous." In verse 9, "...have I not commanded you," says God, "...be strong and courageous." If you go down to verse 18, it ends by saying, "...only be strong and courageous." Repeated over and over and over again as the leadership was being transferred in the people of God from Moses to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous." Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous in Him. His promises are sure. Uh, as God was going to use Israel as an instrument of judgment, as leadership was being passed from Moses to Joshua, this term, be strong and courageous, this is the Hebrew word for this, is the transliteration into Greek that Paul uses. And it translates into English like this Act like men, act like a man. What does that mean? Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous in His promises. As God was using Israel for His mission and His purpose in the Hebrew Bible, so God is using His people, the church in Corinth, the people sitting in this room, for His mission and His purpose in Memphis. Be strong and courageous. Don't be fearful. You know, we live in the the most affluent period of all of history. No time in any period of the world has there been the amount of wealth that we have. And with that wealth comes security. We live in the securest place in the world. If you've traveled the world, then you know what I'm talking about. We are secure. And somehow we find ourselves motivated out of fear. Fear. Men reacting out of fear. What if this happens? What if these people are going are gonna to get us? Whoa, 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 whoa. Be strong. God will provide for you. Be courageous. Step out in His mission. Trust His promises. Just as God was using Israel for His mission in that day of, of Deuteronomy and Joshua, so He is using His people now. And we're not a people who live in fear. So if you're worried, all the all the fear that's being drummed up about stuff that's happening in our world, don't let it take your eye off the ball. Because a man's eye is on the Lord and His promises. A man's eye, says the Bible, is on what God has us to do for Him. We don't react. We're not. Oh, they're doing this, so we're going to do this. Oh, we've got to do this. No way, man. We step out in promises. We move into the darkness. We don't protect ourselves from it. We move in. What is God's mission? It's to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to make the lame walk, to give sight to the blind, to to make what has been wronged in this world by sin, what has been disordered, it is make that to be reordered through the cross. That's His mission. And we're called to be strong, be courageous, to act like men. And to act like men is to be a part of this mission. It's not to retreat and hide behind a fortress. It is to exit and enter in. It is to move towards pain. It is not to isolate ourselves. It is to move into brokenness, not insulate ourselves from us. We have a problem in our culture. Men medicate themselves through pain. Not through pain, like like through it so they don't have to feel pain. Men isolate themselves. Men insulate themselves from brokenness. We want to be comfortable. We want to live lives of ease. We set ourselves up as king because we want to be safe. God is on mission. God is moving forward. And a man is strong and courageous in the mission and purposes of God, trusting his promises and not... Operating out of fear. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battles battles against evil and principalities and darkness. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. God is on mission. Just like he was using Israel and his mission in the time of Joshua, so is he using God's people now? And the question is: are you a man that's a part of this mission? Or are you a man that's retreating, that's being safe? come on, act like men, being watchful, this is the center imperative, and we're going to go downhill quickly from here, this is the center imperative of which being watchful and stand firm comes in on, right, God's on mission, we've got to be a part of it, we've got to be a part of his mission, (laughs) what dignity, what purpose, what excitement, do you know how excited we get from watching 19 and 20 and 21-year-olds run around a field with pads on, holding a football? Do you know how excited we get over that? Do you know how excited we should get over the fact that our God is righting the wrongs of this world? That he's restoring dignity? That he is bringing life where there is death? That he is bringing light where there is darkness? That he is bringing satisfaction to where there is hunger. That he is bringing dignity to where dignity has been robbed. That's something to get out of your your lazy boy and cheer about. That's something to be strong and courageous in. That's what it means to be a man. Act like men. Be strong and courageous in the mission of God. Those two... (laughs) I get so excited. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just commenting on it. And if it's too much, too early in the morning for you... Um, then I do apologize for that. But I just, this is so awesome that we have this kind of dignity, that we have this kind of direction. It's so beautiful. But he doesn't stop there. He ends by repeating himself, all right? A fee, uh, he goes on, he says, uh, act like men, be strong. How are, we, how are we to be strong? Well, we're supposed to stand firm in faith, having faith in God's promises, having faith in God's character, having faith that his mission is sure, that his purposes are sure. Well, how are we supposed to be strong? Just quickly, we're just going to look at one passage. If you you look at verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, the same word is used. And Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is so counter to our culture. Our culture tells us to be strong in our education. Our culture tells us to be strong in our savings account. Our culture tells us to be strong in our stocks. Our culture tells us to be strong in our net worth. Our culture tells us to be strong in our capital, strong in our numbers, strong in in every physical way possible. But Paul says to be strong, the Bible says to be strong for a man of God is to actually be weak because we're strong in the Lord. And what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? It means to be a weak man. God's power, says Paul, is made perfect in our weakness. In our culture here in East Memphis, weakness is not capital. Weakness is something that you get capital punishment for. You lose job positions. You lose status. You lose credibility in the office. You lose credibility in our clubs. You lose credibility when you're weak. But in God's economy, weakness is capital. And a strong man, a man who is being strong in the Lord, is a man who is being, being, who's able to be honest with his weaknesses, honest with his struggles, honest with his addictions, honest with his fears, honest with his family, honest with his community. A man who lives with nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. Because there's freedom in the gospel. We stand in Jesus Christ. We haven't lived a perfect life. He has. We haven't died the death that we deserve for our sin. He did. We haven't risen from the grave to conquer the consequence of our sin for all time. He has. We have confidence in Him. We are strong in Him. We are not strong in ourselves. We are strong in the Lord. We are weak. And we're not afraid to admit it. We're not surprised by addictions. We come alongside one another. And we're watchful for one another. And we pray for one another. And we hold one another's arms up. And we fight for dignity in one another's lives and one another's families. Being strong in the Lord is being weak, admitting our weakness, admitting our brokenness. But how, how can this be? How can this be? How can our strength not be in our status, our success, our savings and our security? How can this be? How can it be so counter to be a biblical man than the man of our cult, men of our culture? Paul sums it up here at the end. If you look at verse 14, the last imperative. Let all that you do be done in love. You can't read First Corinthians without thinking of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You can't think of it. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do. What does a man do? Everything's done in love. Why? Why? Because we're in the Lord. Because we're in Christ. Here's reality, right? Jesus, as, the, as men are looking to you and looking to me for what it means to be a man, they're looking for a picture, aren't they? They're looking for a picture. Our world is looking for a picture of what humanity is. Jesus was watchful for us. Jesus was watchful against the enemy. He prayed for us. In John 17, it's recorded. He took the enemy head on in in, in the desert. He he didn't fall into the temptations. Jesus was watchful for you. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus modeled what it meant to be a watchful man. And because he was watchful for you, by his grace, we are watchful as men. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus stood firm for us. Firm in the face of temptation. Jesus stood firm. He was ready to fight against the battle, against the devil. And he did fight. He did fight, didn't he? He did take the devil head on, didn't he? He did go face to face with the devil, didn't he? And he didn't go with the strength of military might. He didn't come as a king that conquered. He came as a king that suffered and a king that died. Because He was strong in His Father and His plan. He was strong and courageous. He looked to His Father's mission. Look at John 12. And look how identified Jesus is, His work with God's plan. He was strong. He was courageous in His Father's mission as well. He was strong and courageous for us. He was a man for us so we can be a man in this church, in His mission, in this world. And how did Jesus accomplish this mission? How was He strong? In faith. He was strong in weakness. His path to power was what? Powerlessness. Weakness. And He was weak for us so that we can stand firm in the Lord. He was weak for us so we can be weak with one another. He was weak for us so that we can allow the, God's power to be made perfect in our weakness. So we can be free with our shortcomings. Free with our brokenness. This is why He was weak for us so that we could be weak with one another. And lastly, He loved us so that all, and all He did He loved us so that we could love one another. So that we, he, he was a picture of a true man. So that we could be a picture of men, for younger men, that we could be a picture of men for the men of this world who are looking for identity. He was a man for us, so that we could be a man in this world. You see it, don't you? Do you see the priority of the call to be a man? Paul challenges his people to act like men. The model we have in Christ. The opportunity we have to be part of God's mission. Do you see it? If you see it. Are you going to be changed by it? Or are you going to walk out of this room content with looking like our culture? Because that's the tension. That's the tension I live in. That's the tension we live in. Are we going to look like men of our culture? Or are we going to look like men of our king? Only you can answer that tension in your own heart. Only you know where the Holy Spirit's pulling you. But you've got to answer that question. My challenge is to act like men godly men, because there's freedom, dignity, and purpose. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be a man for us, that he was watchful for us. Thank you that he stood firm for us, that he was strong and courageous in you, that he was the true man, and that he was strong in his fight, and he did all in love so that we could be men and have our dignity restored and our purpose lived out, that we could be living true humanity. I pray for the men of our culture and our world that are looking for pictures of men. Would you please help your bride, your church, to live those pictures, the picture of Jesus for this world? Would you help us in that, Lord? We need your help. We need your mercy. I thank you for every man in this room, and I pray for those that are trying to have a boldness to be honest with their hearts. Would you give them strength? Would you give them focus and resolve? And would you give us all a hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we might hunger more for your kingdom than the banquet of your kingdom than the table scraps of this world? We love you, Jesus, and pray for your mercy. In your name, amen.